Are you tired of boring lectures and textbooks on human factors and UX? Well, grab your headphones and get ready for a wild ride with the Human Factors Minute podcast. Each minute is like a mini crash course packed with valuable insights and information on various organizations, conferences, usability methods, theories, models, certifications, tools, and much more. We'll take you on a journey through the fascinating world of human factors, from the ancient history to the latest trends and developments. Listen in as we explore the field and discover new ways to enhance the user experience. From the think aloud protocol to the critical incident technique, focus groups, iterative design, we'll make sure that you're the smartest person in the room. Tune in on the 10th, the 20th, and the last day of every month for a new and interesting tidbit related to human factors. Don't miss out on the Human Factors Minute podcast, your ultimate source for all things human factors. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. This is episode 274. We're recording this episode live on February 23rd, 2023. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hello, hello, and great to be back. It is great to be back. It's it's I, it's wonderful. I never left. Uh, I was ready to go last week behind the scenes. <laughs> we got yeah. a great, we got we got a great show for y'all tonight. We're going to be talking about ageism and how it's being viewed as the last acceptable prejudice. We'll also answer some questions in the community about how to deal with imposter syndrome, what we'd change if we started our careers over, and what to address in your UX researcher portfolio. But first, we got some programming notes. And this was first thing I want to talk about is if you're listening to this now or before Friday at noon, uh, there is a, a an HFES town hall happening tomorrow, Friday at noon, tomorrow when we're recording, Friday, February 24th at noon. Uh, come join me as I sit down with HFES uh, staff and other contributors to HFES to talk about uh, the first town hall of the year. There's a lot of different topics from the annual um, meeting all the way to um, sort of a, a special task force established. So that's a little sneak peek for you all. Please tune in. It's uh, some good. It'll be some good fun to check in with HFES since we haven't done it since right before HFES last year, I think. Uh, and hey, by the way, speaking of human factors related things, we are less than one week until the launch, the public launch of uh, Human Factors Minute. That's out March 1st. You can get everything an episode or uh, every everything in a day early if you go and subscribe to that feed. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. Of course, you can always get access to the full show, the full library if you support the show on Patreon. Um, you know, we don't get paid to do this, so we really appreciate any support that you can give us. You know, there's that right there. Uh, Barry, I do have to ask you, though, what is the latest over at 1202? So in 1202, we have a new episode up and that we talk about workplace assessments, but not just any standard workplace assessments. We talking about them for the audio and visually impaired. And Dan Williams spent a fair bit of time chatting to me about how he and his team do workplace assessments um, for audio and visually impaired people and the value that we as um, as individuals and the businesses, if you invest that time 
into your into your staff they can actually pr provide you that you know you look at it as an investment because they can provide much better um, quality for your business if they've got the right tools and the capability to do the job so that's live now feel free to go and, and have a listen and then coming up is a discussion with martin bromley who is somebody who um inspire is inspiring a whole bunch of change uh, around human factors in the in the health service yeah, it was a great discussion. I'm glad you touched on buying tools for the employees to make them feel heard and empowered. I love that. But now it's time to get to the news. So let's go ahead and get into it. That's right. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors news. Barry, the story this week is a fun one. Let's talk about it. So this week we're talking about ageism being the last acceptable prejudice. According to an article on UX Collective by author, speaker and digital media expert Chris Converse, the subtle yet pervasive practice of ageism has spread to the UX UI design process in the digital and UX field as a whole. Converse explains how ageism has infiltrated advertising and is beginning to manifest itself in the form of memory-improving products aimed at older adults, which perpetuate negative stereotypes about ageing. The article also emphasizes the fact that older adults are frequently, frequently excluded from digital technology research and design, despite the fact that their inclusion is critical if technology is to fulfill its, promising, uh, its promise of improving well-being. The author emphasizes the importance of recognizing older adults as a valuable resource and how ageism harms the industry. As a result, he's encouraging businesses to include age in their diversity statements and to capitalize on the accumulated knowledge and competence of older workers. Converse also reminds younger generations that dismissing somebody because of their age is the last acceptable prejudice, and that such discrimination can have negative consequences for everyone. So, Nick, what are your thoughts? Sorry, do I need to turn this up for you to be able to hear it? Um, what are your thoughts on the uh, on on this article? You ready? You ready for a hot, spicy take? Go on then. Okay, this one might be a little un un um, unpopular. It sounds like someone's throwing a tantrum, and I. I mean, they're using this forum to complain. Now, there's two points of thought that I have about this, and I want to make sure that I'm clear about this, because that sounds like I'm reacting to the fact that he's saying that ageism is the last acceptable prejudice. It's not that. It's just that it sounds like this is his forum to complain. So let's talk about this. There's two ways to think about this. This is including older folks in usability testing for user studies. And there's also including older folks in the design process and research roles, that type of thing. In the first example, I think it might be an it might be an issue in the design process, but you know there are valid reasons why older adults aren't always included in these things. Chief among them, technology is constantly evolving, and what may work for an older generation now may not work in the future because of digital nativity. Right? You have these digital natives who have grown up; they understand how. Uh, how software works. And so you don't need to do, they won't need to go through as many sort of accessibility hurdles as elder generations now. Okay. There's also the older adults. They won't always be a target audience for some of these products. So why waste the time and resources and trying to cater to them specifically for those products, not for products designed specifically for them. And I don't think this is necessarily discrimination. I think this is just common sense. It's a 1202 reference there. But then there's a second sort of reaction that I have of getting older and older, older folks involved in the design process and research roles, that type of thing. And I think 
it's it is disappointing to see some negative stereotypes perpetuated about older folks. And if you are subscribed to our feed, you saw the last week I posted a recast of an episode that we did uh, talking about which cognitive abilities actually improve as we age. You know, I think there's the stereotype that as as people age and get older, that their cognitive abilities fail. And that's not necessarily true. In fact, we talked about it in that in that last episode. So go listen to that. It's in our feed. But I think what the older generation can provide, they have a lot of knowledge, a lot of lessons learned that they can pass on. And it's it's a lot of do what is I, do as I say, not as I do, because it's a learned habit. And it's we have to figure out some things on our own. But if we can circumvent that by, you know, talking to mentors, talking to mentors who have already gone through that process before, then it's it's completely different. And I think I think he's spot on with the fact that companies should include that age in their diversity statements. I will personally be old somebody someday and I want to still be able to get hired. So that's my thoughts on it. Barry, what are you thinking about this article? So. Yeah, it, it it's an interesting one, one, isn't it? Because I think from a design perspective, we do go a long way to be inclusive. So things like we we try and make sure that we um, we cater for colorblindness, even though you know the the amount of people that colorblind is is a minority. That that's what it is. But we cater for it as a matter of course. Um, variations in fingertips, like touchscreens, are prevalent now. So um, the way that we 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 ensure the touchscreen areas or um, active areas um, cater for a broad range of finger sizes. Um, the number of, say, 70, 80, 90 year olds, which is the sort of the age I think of when we start talking about all the older generation, uh, which is not what my daughter said at the dinner table when she was saying about 40 and 50 year olds. And I'm like, I'm 44, back off. Um, but the 70, 80, 90 year olds that we're talking about are currently. Um, they're not really in a majority of, uh, digitally tech savvy. You know, they, they are a growing minority and more, more people are becoming silver surfers, as we call it. But um, fundamentally, that that's not really where the audience is. Um, but as you've as you just uh, alluded to, digital immigrants, digital natives, as we're growing older, we are going to become this, this, this older generation. Um, and so we are going to have to have this technology that maybe isn't being developed thoroughly in a way um, for people with, you know, failing eyesight, uh, eyesight, arthritic fingers, failing hearing, dementia, things like that. Um, we need to perhaps think about, right, how does this technology evolve to do that properly? And we're just not there yet. And I think there's a bunch of reasons um, for that. But also, I think ageism is a two-way street. Because in this article, we are naturally focusing on old, older people. But there is a cultural issue here as well, because when I was discussing this uh, this at the at the dinner table, um, as, as I like to do prior, prior to the shows, um, my daughter highlighted uh, that there's so many people on, from the older generation who look down on the younger generation. Go, well, it was never like that in my day, whatever that is. Um, you know, we you, you don't sit all the... I mean, so there was the point raised that everyone talks about people sitting there being on the phones all the time. Um, but then historically people, you know, the, 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 the people will be sat at the dinner table with their newspapers, still ignoring everybody at the dinner table, but the, the dads will be sat there with their newspapers. So it's the same thing. They're still disconnected. It's just in a different way. Um, and so actually that, um, the, it never, in, uh, it was never like that in my day it can be seen as a, almost a bit bullying too, if that makes sense. Um, 
and also culturally some notions about how we behave in public so we sort of see that you know historically you the um the young would always give up their seats on public transport for for older people whereas now i think there is a thing there well i paid for my seat why 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 should i move for a 40 50 year old who is perfectly fine uh, even a 60 year old you know maybe when you get into 70 80 or you're they're they're, uh, they're pregnant or there's a real reason for them to sit down but just that whole piece of you know we should respect the older generation and do that 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 just doesn't exist anymore um or in in the same sort of way so i in think western whole, cultures in western in, cultures in western cultures yes um and i think there is a whole lot of stuff there um that culturally and also technologically that um is evolving and changing and um it's going to be interesting to see how how we keep up with it that yeah. was longer than this reaction i think i've ever done i think those were the longest reactions that we've ever done both of us but i you know there's a couple different ways in which we can go for discussing this article i think just to just to reiterate right this article brings attention to ageism right it, it's it's a form of discrimination for anyone who's unfamiliar with the concept right form of discrimination often overlooked or yeah overlooked um especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion and we actually talked about culture and hci a couple i guess it was like the two episodes ago uh with when heidi was on the show with us and i think this this is a a, a good tag along to that topic because Really, um, the author highlighting this last acceptable prejudice, which actually came from um, a comedian that I'm not too fond of, but is is pervasive in the tech industry. And and really, if you think about the tech industry, it's largely dominated by younger generations right now. You see a lot of young people in UX and UX research and design. And I think this uh, sort of culture of, of younger folks in these tech uh, in this tech environment is, is perpetuating this prejudice as he calls it. Right. So I don't know exactly where you want to go with this Barry, but. Well, I think following up on, on that comment you just made is, is a, is a really good point because the, the nature of technology means that it's always been the younger generations who keep, keep pace with it. And then as them generations get older, the younger generations then keep pace with it. So is this, is if we talk about it as, as, a, um, uh, as, as a prejudice, but actually it could be argued that that is just evolution. That, that is just one of these things. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a characteristic of, of, the, of you getting older. You get more comfortable in... So we are um, more the, the Facebook generation, I think, um, as my kids would call it now. Um, they, they think it's very quaint that we still go and use Facebook and, and post on Facebook, um, things like that. Whereas, you know, my my parents my parents will sort of, well, my mum does doesn't touch any sort of social media at all. My dad will um, dip into it to see what we're up to. Um, and so he will look on it and they'll look at the photos and things like that. And they use the technology differently. In ten years' time, the, tech, the technology is going to move on again, again vastly, and just because we are digitally native or digitally immigrant into these sort of things, will we feel this discriminated against um, because of that? Just because the people who are developing it are younger, and so they're developing it for effectively themselves. And and, it, and it, how we talk about trickle down when it comes to things like economics and stuff—is there a trickle up effect here? And I, I don't know. 
Well, it's it's interesting because there's there's things that are designed for older generations, right? We had a whole episode about uh, giving uh, in-home assistance to elderly in New York uh, as sort of a companion as well as a assistant to take care of other things. But I'm sure that they included that demographic in their user research. Yes. And I'm include I'm I'm positive that they had like SMEs that they talked to, subject matter experts, right? I think ultimately when we're looking at this, all right, there's there's this there is ageism in some ways, but it's it's not necessarily a result of intentional discrimination. It's it's rather a reflection of the demographic of how the tech industry workforce is comprised, right? I think younger people often pursue these careers in tech, like I was mentioning. And because they're more prevalent, that's kind of where they're looking. So it's it's sort of unintentional in, in a lot of ways. I think you brought up the point of older adults maybe being less capable of adapting to new technologies. And, you know, some some would say this is due to cognitive decline or just, you know, whatever. But it, it does make them less desirable because of that stereotype for certain tech jobs, right? There is a stereotype there, and that's that's why we're talking about ageism. It is important to recognize, though, that age doesn't necessarily equate to cognitive decline. In fact, we had a whole episode that I just posted in our feed. I'll call back to that episode. But, um, you know, I think there's there's just a lot of things that we'd have to... It, it's nuanced, and mm. it's... Um, I don't know. I, I think... I think the author does make some valid points um, and I want to address those, right? Like I, I had a spicy take at the top, but I do want to address like, yes, this, this could be because uh, I, l- let me just mention one more thing and then I'll let you talk Barry. Cause I've been going on here, but I will say that some of the most valuable advice that I've ever received have been from that generation, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to human factors, right? They were sharp still for their age. I mean, like, I'm even doing it now. I'm saying for their age. They were sharp. They were attentive to my goals. They were, you know, a, a good mentor. And so I I appreciated that feedback and that advice. And I took it to heart. And now look where we're at, right? So, like, I don't know. I I just wanted to bring that up. Like, the, 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 the author has some points. Barry, go ahead. I think, I think the author has some good points, almost backhanded good points, because um, there is... I think if we were to suggest, certainly from a human factors perspective, that the that the human body does not degrade over time in, in its capabilities, both physical and mental, then we are doing ourselves, we're either lying to our faces, uh, lying to ourselves, or we're doing ourselves an injustice, because it does. Um, now, the speed and rate that that happens has massive variability. Um, I know people well, well within their 90s who are sharper, more eloquent, and cleverer than me. Um, I also know people who are quite young, um, or comparatively young, maybe not just not that much older than me, who are starting to um, show con- signs of um, cognitive impairment. But fundamentally, between zero, uh, be- between the time you're born and, say, 40, 50, uh, let's say 40 years of age, roughly, um, the chances of you showing true cognitive decline uh, is rare. 
to the point that we would rarely include that in any sort of target audience description, any sort of user group or, or, or that, type of, that type of thing. So where this article highlights that, um, that there are technologies around memory improve, improving aids for older adults, and you can also include with that, I think, you know, um, mobile, uh, sorry, phones with bigger buttons on, uh, with, with larger... Um, with larger text on screens and, and things like that. The accessibility elements of your phone makes things uh, bigger or reads them out because if your eyesight is um, starting to degrade. I think, but there is a fine balance there between, I think, designing for an audience that you are aiming for. Uh, so, so designing products to be helpful, designing products to um, fulfill that and then um, actually discriminating people, discriminating against people within the workplace um, and things like that. I think there's things we, um, you know, the, like I said, the, we, we've both given examples of, of people we know who are, would be great in jobs regardless of their age um, because they're still as, as sharp as anything, um, which is fine. Um, but I think the not recognizing the way that we change over time is possibly doing everybody a disservice. So it's how do we balance that whole, what is true ageism as a prejudice and ageism as a um, recognition of fact. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, um, it, yeah, no, you're right. You're right, right? And I think there there's a couple of solutions to this, uh, at least off the top of my head, right? You could sort of incorporate more older generation into your studies that that's kind of the easy low-hanging fruit solution right okay well there's this problem they're not included include them uh i think as i mentioned earlier and as the author mentioned to include including age as sort of a protected element within those diver uh in diversity inclusion statements I, I think that is another possible you know uh patch to this especially for keeping those aging population in the workforce. Uh, and and this, by the way, quick tangent here, there's the whole other issue of the workforce shrinking because we're not reproducing at the same rate that we were before. That has a whole bunch of other social issues, but one of them is that the, work, the workforce is not being replaced at the same rate. Therefore, older generations may need to stay in for longer to, you know, whatever. So there's that. But then then also another solution could be potentially you have the sexual harassment training. Why don't you have like a and discrimination training and, you know, include age in that training material. Right. Th those are some potential solutions to this problem. You know, I do want to I do want to back up just really quick and talk about the article itself. You know, I think mm -hmm. this is somebody's. Subjective experience. They do present a compelling argument to address ageism in tech, but I really think, you know, some more specific examples would be really helpful. I think some research to actually back this up and make it known that it's an issue would be helpful. So if anyone's looking for like a thesis or, you know, a dissertation idea, there you go. Um, you know, and I think the the impact is highlighted, but they don't again, provide solutions from their perspective. It's it. This is why I went with my spicy take at the top. It feels like, okay, are you just, are you just bitching or are you just, are, are you trying to fix things? Because let's talk about this. And it, it may have just been 
an uh, an opening statement to say let's let's talk about this a conversation discuss but at the same time you could offer those solutions at the top to say i've done my homework i don't know it just to me it just seemed a little weak in that regard ah. <laughs> yeah and i think i think that's why we've almost dissected it in the way that we have is because there's two different takes you can have on it one is the um is almost that that moral and ethical viewpoint of ageism as a prejudice and if you're choosing you know are you choosing people for the right reasons um but equally to suggest that um that we stay you know it's almost suggesting that we that the human body stays the same throughout the, throughout its life with exactly the same capabilities exactly the same functions and, and things like that and that's just not true on both you know throughout the spectrum of age not just looking at older people because equally, you would never suggest that a baby should be flying a fighter jet. Uh, that, that you know, less than five years old might be outside of my um, my, my design parameters at that point. Um, but the you know, equally, the is it just tech? Um, with this type of uh, di discussion debate, you know, it goes quite broadly, doesn't it? It's um, everybody uses age in a, and it's only in one way or another. So. Within, you know, you can't join the military above above a certain age because you're 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 deemed to have been, um, you know, past your best at that best at that point. Um, uh, pilots can't fly beyond uh, commercial pilots can't fly beyond beyond a certain age because they're deemed to be, um, you know, past their best at, um, for for that that sort of thing. Um, so the more that you, the more that we look at that. I mean, you know, um, we have had uh, educational. Degree, uh, degrees are a certain a certain length in time rather than really capability driven um, and competence driven um, we trying to get people to be competence driven within their job rather than how many years you've got under your belt is still an evolving still an evolving beast so I think age is still going to be a problem for or an, an issue a debatable uh, topic for for quite a while and for a number of years to come yeah I agree I think there's you're talking about different industries a little bit with military. I want to talk about this in terms of government too, because you have a, a an objectively older generation, at least here in the States, dictating mm -hmm. laws and policy. And this is, I think, part of the reason why younger generations are so fired up about this issue is because, look, like, their <laughs> policymakers are showing that they don't they clearly don't understand some of the implications and dangers of what tech can do wide scale to culture and society. OK, we've talked about this many times on the show. Right. AI right now is running rampant. And I mean that in the best possible way. It's fun to see everything that's happening, but also yes. it's introducing a lot of really dangerous technologies out there that are abusive and harmful to individuals. And so because we don't have any laws in place right now that dictate what we can and cannot do with uh, technology, artificial intelligence, anything like that, there are <laughs> there are people out there who are getting hurt because of this. And I think that's that's important to consider, right? When when you have lawmakers that are of an advanced age that are making these decisions for us, does it make sense then? Is this is this retribution for, 
like, okay, we need to include people of our own generation to, you know, uh, uh, of the younger generations, I shouldn't say of my generation, uh, of, of younger generations to research this because it's clear on a national stage that they don't get it. Right. And Those are our role models. And this so is definitely, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is where we, the, our governmental system almost breaks down is that there are not enough. And I, I think we do it maybe slightly better here in the UK than, than what you've got in the U S um, because I think in the U S you, it is so driven, you know, to get anywhere near the, uh, them, them houses of power, you need to have some significant money behind you to get there. You're only going to get there after a period of time, um, you know, building up a power base, et cetera, et cetera, no matter what level you're at, you know, it's, it's significant. So we need to be able to encourage people, young people, to have their voice heard and to be able to do that. And that that will then bring in some of this because I you see some of the um some of the committees in the States where they've interviewed um like Mark Zuckerberg and and people like that, just on, you know, and the level of questioning is almost embarrassing. It is right. to the point of you're sitting there going, all you're doing, you've got no idea truly what you're talking about. And you had literally just point scoring. You're trying to score. You're trying to be clever, and you're not. It's not you're not clever enough to to do it. You just don't. Yeah, you don't have an appreciation of the technology and how it's used. Um, yeah, and I uh, really quick. I just want to comment on that. I think a lot of that is the progression of questions. Yes, mm-hmm. they're trying to get uh, you know a line of inquiry, but the progression of questions doesn't go more than a couple layers deep to get at what they're trying to investigate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that really could go a long way if they treated those investigations like a usability study or, you know, a user interview where you are lining up all those questions. I mean, I know they are, but in the sense of really establishing what is your goal, what is and I, I'm not saying they don't do this, but I think there is some things that government can learn from usability. Well, there is, and this is one of the things I'd sort of highlight what we've got going in the UK at the moment. So we do have some uh, members of parliament who are younger. Um, so it always used to be like sort of members of parliament, you get to get to maybe like your 50s and your 60s and, and things like that. Um, whereas now um, there are some significantly impressive members of parliament who are in younger than me, um, significantly younger than me, um, doing some good stuff. I mean, there's, there's one in particular... Um, Darren Jones, who's chair of a committee at the moment, one of the basically a business select committee, and he has been taking people to task on technology and technology uses all the way from Amazon through to the mail service, et cetera, et cetera, but coming at it from a position of knowledge. Um, and they do that in it. So they're not political points, and it's done in a, in, in a cross-party way, but, it's, but they're actually doing what I think is almost a proper investigation. They're properly drilling down. They're properly holding people to account, and and it's quite impressive to see um, when you, when when that starts happening. But we just don't see enough of it, I think. Um, and the more people we get in government who are younger, then the better represented people are. So we've gone on a slight tangent, but I think it's um, I think it's a valid one. Yeah, no, it is. It is because it all relates to tech, right? Especially if, like I said, these these people who are leaders are are not understanding it, then why would we include them? Yep, absolutely. Just um, and that 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 perpetuates that stereotype. Barry, do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about on the topic? So I, I think I would summarize it in 
I think in, it's almost two, there's two halves to it. One is the, we need to be thinking, selfishly, we need to be thinking about ourselves. Um, so we're going to be wanting to use this tech when we order. So what are the changes that we want to see happen to it as we get older and uh, to be able to allow us to um, engage with it in the way that we do today? So there is an element of that about how the digital immigrants, digital natives, as we evolve, how does this tech evolve with us? Because um, we're still going to use want, want to use Facebook, even if our even if the younger generations are not, um, or something equivalent. Um, but equally, I think um, the difference here between that and actual um, ages and age discrimination, uh, we need to make sure that we you know we are utilising um, people um, and the knowledge and the experience that they've gained as much as we can. You you alluded to it um, almost at the top of the show where we in the Western culture treat older people differently to uh, Middle Eastern and Eastern cultures, uh, where in Eastern cultures, the, um, elderly people are much more revered uh, because of the knowledge and experience that they've gained. And maybe we could do a lot by learning from them in that. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that cultural belief, those cultural values perpetuate in the way that they conduct UX and human factors in Eastern cultures, right? So I don't know. It's it's a good question. I think ultimately more research, education about this specific topic of ageism and really the importance of including those diverse perspectives in the tech industry is really needed here. I think this is uh, this is an observation. They bring up some the, the author, Chris Converse, he brings up some articles, some papers suggesting or supporting that negative impact of ageism. Mm -hmm. But and and a little bit about sort of including them in in design and research of digital tech but like beyond that we need some we need some more research it needs to be more robust in terms of how we approach this problem and like you said Barry digital natives are going to uh age and are it's going to flip the script entirely right i don't know it, it's just a it's just an unknown at this point so mm -hmm. let's let's make it known all right. Well, thank you to our everyone for this uh, for selecting our topic, especially our patrons. And thank you to our friends over at UX Collective and Chris Converse for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post links to all the original articles on our weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us in our Discord for more discussion on these stories and more hot takes. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Yes, huge thank you, as always, to all of our patrons. We especially want to thank our Human Factors cast, all-access patron, Michelle Tripp. Patrons like you truly keep the lights on over here. I make the joke a million times, uh, but 
that's what it looks like without y'all. <laughs> uh, if you do want to help support the show, we have a bunch of different options for you. A buck gets you in the door. Even a buck really helps us out. Seriously. Uh, anyway, we uh, I mentioned it. We have a Discord. Uh, we have the Discord server. You can jump in there, get involved with other human factors professionals from all over the world. Uh, there's people joining um, you know, all the time, and they're asking some really great questions. We've had questions most recently about, uh, what was it? It was it was nuclear power plants in, in space. Mm. Like that, was, that was a pretty cool topic. Um, yeah. You know, you can jump in there, discuss the news with us. If you have some hot, spicy takes about ageism in the tech industry, come, come join us over there and let us know what you feel like. I think the more that we open up these discussions... Uh, amongst ourselves, uh, the the more our views on this topic or any topic really get more refined and more nuanced. It's always refreshing to talk with others from various perspectives, right? It, it's it's super cool to see just what kind of folks join in there because like it's it's truly uh, international and um, got a lot of great perspectives on there. So we we uh, we even have um, sometimes we talk about stories or not stories uh like questions that we get from discord on the show there's getting more context around those um and there's a lot of activity at least on our lab chat <laughs> there's a lot of uh uh so you can't see that part but you know we're, we're always there we're always there watching so if you if you post something you'll see it i'm getting cat bombed right now so i think it's time for us to get into this next part of the show we like to call it came from it came from that's right it's it came from yeah, uh, this is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics that the community is talking about. If you find any of these answers useful, give us a like uh, wherever you're watching or listening to help other people find this content. It'd be really useful. Uh, so let's get into this first one here. This is, I landed my first UX UI job. Need some advice. This is by Kaharm on the user experience subreddit. They write, so I landed my first UX job. And the first workday is looming. I'm still kind of nervous and definitely dealing with imposter syndrome. So I'm here to ask for your help. What steps can I take to overcome imposter syndrome and gain knowledge and experience beyond learning from my team and asking questions? Should I focus on reading books or mastering tools? Any other general advice for a newbie? Barry, what, what are your thoughts on this? Firstly, chill. Just take a breath. It's fine. Um, at the end of the day, they hired you. So they must have at least been convinced in your capability and what it what they see in you. So it's them that take the risk in this, not you. So first, that's first. Take a breath. But I, I think first days on at work on any time they're always the same because every time I take on a new project or a contract, I'm absolutely there with you. Um, I get imposter syndrome all the time. So, but I guess I try and I use it positively or I, I vaguely try and use it positively um, when I get over it. So I try and think about, right, what is it about this role that, um, or this project or whatever it is I'm going to? Why is it making me feel like an imposter? And it can be one of a few different things. It's either it's a new domain. So I've done that when I've taken what I've done and I've gone into a new domain. That I haven't known, but I'm trying to bring my expertise into it. Um, and I've done that quite a few times now. Um, is it a new client? Um, is it so? So, if a new for me, it's, is it new client? Is it somebody I'm trying to engage with and, and trying to impress them to hopefully maybe get some more work out of them in the future? Um, or is it just a new area? Am I am I in the same domain, but am I learning new skills? And therefore, I'm a bit nervous about doing. Once you've once you've identified why it is you feel like an imposter, so what's your nervousness around it? Then that makes that that's my target in the first few days. 
um, to try and um, focus on learning. And I try and use the first week to be effectively the, 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 the sponge um, in that area and, and pull all that information back. But fundamentally, again, I, I'd circle right back to they hired you. They see the, or they believe that you've got the skills and it's as much in their court, in their domain, and in their um, desire to make sure that the, you coming on board is a, is a success as much as you need it to be. So you're not on your own um, and, and breathe, take the time. Nick, how would you, how do you deal with it? Yeah, I think one of the things that you can really do here is to really take on uh, advantage of that onboarding period, right? I, I think this is a really good time, especially if it's a new domain, new industry, people are going to assume that you don't know much about the product, about you know, whatever it is that you're working on. So take advantage of that time, really get get to know the folks that you're going to be working with, sit down, ask them questions like, who do I go to for this, that, the other thing? Uh, you know, who's the best about this thing? Um, ask a lot of questions about what the, what the thing is that you're working on, uh, how things are done internally. The more knowledge that you have about those things, the more confident that you'll feel in your role. So that'll help you with imposter syndrome. When it comes to imposter syndrome, try not, I know this is easier said than done, try not to let it get to you or hold you back. You know, everyone starts somewhere. So I know this is kind of a first job type of situation. And that certainly felt it doesn't necessarily go away. I still feel it uh, like a lot of times. So <laughs> it doesn't go away, especially for certain personalities. Um, <laughs> so just remember that and try to approach it from some of the same perspectives that Barry was mentioning. Right. Focus on on looking at the tools and mastering those that will you'll be using in your role rather than sort of overwhelming yourself with a lot of information about what you're doing. You want to learn just enough, but not so much that you feel overwhelmed by the complexity of it. Right. Uh, and, and that can be, that can be a very fine balance, um, and a, and a tightrope that you need to walk. Um, and really this is a big one too. Don't be afraid to ask for feedback on your work and and really listen to what people are saying because it it might be good feedback especially if you're just starting a role uh I, i'm going to mention it later but develop thick skin early so that's that's, that's kind of what i have there uh this next one here uh is starting over in human factors this is by caleb colorado on the human factor subreddit they write if you could go back to the beginning what would you do differently in your pursuit of a human factors career barry Wow, define the beginning. Um, so I guess for me, because I didn't, when I first started out on my um, initial career, I had no, I'd, I'd never heard of human factors, didn't know, what, didn't know what it was. So it'd be pointless to try and say um, to have done a, a human factors degree right from the off, you know, because it just didn't exist. I, I wouldn't have known what it was. But I would like to have taken academia more seriously um, because at that point in my life, I was very much going through a process to get somewhere. Everything was pretty much on on uh, train tracks. And it, the, the ac academic elements were just hurdles I had to jump through um, rather than something to enjoy, uh, something to engage with. And that goes all the way up to my degree. Um, it, was, it was something, it was something just a, a portion of time I had to get through. Um, I guess I would have put, I would have liked to have different experiences for my A-level years as well, uh, because that wasn't the most pleasant experience ever. Um, but I came through the other side of it. 
and that's kind of the point. I wouldn't be where I'm at today um, and certainly wouldn't be going into what this year is going to be doing um, doing for me without them experiences that I've had, that they've all contributed, both positive, the positive and negative experiences have all contributed to my level of expertise of whatever that is, um, you know, being able to run my own company, being able to know the people I know, to be able to talk on a platform like this. And if I'd taken different routes, particularly through the harder bits, through my um, early career, it wouldn't have popped me out to where I am now. So there's lots of things I would have, you know, in hindsight, to make my life easier, I would like to have changed, but it, they would have all put me on a different journey. And I probably wouldn't end up, wouldn't have ended up enjoying what I'm doing now. So I wouldn't change a thing. Nick, what about you? Great advice. Don't change a thing. Look, here's the thing is, is that similar to you, Barry, a human factors career kind of found me. Uh, which is the case for a lot of people. Um, and in that respect, it is kind of hard to think about this question from trying to answer about how to plan for this type of career that finds you in a lot of cases. If you're trying to pursue it, um, you know, or I guess even even beyond that, I think the the one thing that I would mention to a younger self is embrace flexibility, be ready to change at a moment's notice. Don't stick to anything. Don't feel too passionate about anything because things can change. Um, embrace feedback from others. Like I mentioned earlier, develop a thick skin early. It's People are going to say things and you'll hear things that make you feel a certain way, but you need to be able to take that feedback, evaluate it critically, and don't take it personally. Um, you know, I, we mentioned on the show before, Everyone has a certain way of communicating. And if you're in a room with somebody who's telling you what their thoughts are, the the chances are your, your goals and that person's goals are going to be very similar. You're trying to make whatever it is that you're doing better. And so they're not giving you feedback to make you feel bad. Hopefully they're not doing it to be a jerk, but they are trying to make whatever it is that you're working on better. So be able to have that thick skin early. <laughs> um, I think the last piece here, I, I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the main story, but seek a mentorship and guidance from people who have done this um, and are currently in the human factors field, right? Like I can't tell you how valuable it was to have a mentor. And it was, it was set up in, in the sense of a like workplace mentor, but even having that relationship was um, a good one for me because I learned a lot. I learned various new ways of approaching problems that I hadn't thought about before. And uh, if if you're looking for that advice, that's that's where you're going to want to go. That's that's what I have to say about that one. All right, let's get into uh, this next one here. UX researcher newbie by Intelligent Coat four thousand two. My user experience research subreddit, they write, I'm trying to navigate my way in the industry, but stuck on trying to figure out the next steps to take. Curious on how uh, my, I'm curious to know if my portfolio to be a UX researcher has to contain UI designs or mainly just my findings. Barry. So I'm going to wimp out on this one ever so slightly because I've never had, I'm not in that exact domain and therefore never had to produce a, a portfolio as such. However, I would query a couple of things around um, getting involved in this domain. Why it's focus 
if you're trying to navigate in and around the industry, why focus on just being a researcher? Because there are a, a number of roles out there involved with, with the UX, UX lifecycle um, that I think are nuancedly different, but actually come from the same basis. There's, we've talked about it on the show before, whereas the, the, there's, a, there's a fashionable element around some of the roles at the moment, and perhaps some of some of this is is that. However, for me, if you're if you're presenting a portfolio to me, um, I think it's there is value in showing the a design element as well as findings because it shows that you've got um, more arrows to your bow, um, or more you know things like that. So there is absolutely no harm in showing a breadth of skills, not just focus on that individual element. There might be a perfectly good reason why you want to be a UX researcher, and which is why I raised the question. Um, and and clearly, if you if that is the that if that's the dream ticket, focus on that. Um, but don't be afraid of showing, um, showing showing them broader skills. Nick, what do you think? I think as if you're going for that research role, let's let's look at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Focus on showcasing your findings in your portfolio and your approach. Um, you know, make sure that you're sort of summarizing what methodologies that you use, the results that you were getting, the return on investment is another really good marker of, of how to approach that. I think including designs is okay. Just communicate whether or not you had direct impact on the final design, whether it was you providing recommendations to a designer that then interpreted those recommendations and made the design, or did you do a back of the napkin sketch and hand it to the designer and say, hey, look, this is how it should be based on these recommendations. They took that and made it pretty. Like Indicate to what degree you were involved with that process. I think that's okay. But I wouldn't like put a final design on there that you've researched and maybe didn't have you weren't the one doing the mock-ups or development of it and claiming that as your own. That is not what I'm looking for <laughs> in a in a portfolio. Uh, I'm I'm looking for methodologies and results. And um, as long as we're talking about research portfolios, I don't even have one. So yeah. There's there's another element I would just throw in there as a as a thing as well is I guess there's a, there is a almost a, a country stroke cultural issue here as well that in the if you I guess my my view is always come from that UK perspective because that's where I'm at and there is way fewer practitioners in the field um, way 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 fewer though most of us have to be multidisciplinary one way or another to to the point that we don't necessarily recognise uh, we know that the different roles exist but actually we blend one into the other, into the other, um, almost seamlessly, uh, because that's just the way we are, because there's so few of us. Whereas I'm very cognizant now, especially because of these type of conversations um, and other conversations that we've had, that actually some of these roles, because there are more practitioners in the field, particularly in the US, but also elsewhere, uh, that there is uh, much stronger divides between them, between the roles to a certain extent, or that they are much better defined, I think than what they are here in the UK as well, which I, I find really interesting um, and, and really useful. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, you know, I mean, as long as you are highlighting sort of the importance of human factors, user experience, ergonomics, whatever, in your research and how you've applied those principles in your work and your methodology and your results and your outcomes, all that stuff, I think that'll kind of cover it from a portfolio perspective. But again, I don't even have one. So there you go. All right. Uh, This is just 
one more thing. This is the part of the show where we just talk about one more thing. Barry, what is your one more thing this week? Well, I've mentioned it before um, that Amanda, my wife, she's doing um, her Human Factors Masters at the moment because after being in business now for 11 years together, she's decided running a Human Factors consultancy that she better learn what it's about. And But what is really nice for me, um, having not done that sort of stuff because I'm, I'm practical based, it's really good fun about talking about what she's learning, uh, which is which is fab. Now, we went away for the weekend last weekend and because it's our um, 20-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, in the, I cons- we, 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 there was no jokes either about it being it would be the end of the 20-year um, jail sentence either um, for life, but we, I digress. Um, so we went away for, for a weekend, um, just the two of us, and on the, you know one of the one of the nights there we if if you'd sidle up to our table just the two of us looking romantically into each other's eyes you'd have realized that actually we weren't discussing just the longevity of our relationship or the how much we love each other or anything like that it was actually the affordances of the teapot of the breakfast table um and and as well as the the nature of the instructions for guidance on climate controls in the bedroom because she'd been doing about affordances and how um the design of things um are there to basically be used by us or not and the teapot that we had at the breakfast table you couldn't you couldn't fit either two or three fingers in and and to use it properly you had to put another finger on the top of it to stop the whole lid falling off um and and so that that was the that was the depth of our um, romantic discussion of, of the um of the dinner table i mean who says romance is dead and as an added benefit for our patrons, uh, Barry actually recorded that, and we're going to throw it up as their bonus content. <laughs> it's a surprise to Amanda, for sure. No, uh, I think uh, the, the, the 20 year might be an end point if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't actually have a recording of that conversation. I think that's funny. I think that's that's actually, in some ways, that is more intimate and, and more romantic in a lot of ways, because you're both bonding over over a common interest and it's amazing to see that 20 years on right it's also really cool the fact that she's doing all this stuff and i can have a meaningful discussion with her and that that re- reinforces the fact that i vaguely know what i'm talking about <laughs> so nick what about you Let's go one more thing uh so i have to laugh uh, because last week I, I mentioned it a couple times i was out because i was getting my wisdom teeth removed and I have uh, a lot of anxiety around dental operations, procedures, uh, and this was just like pulling teeth. It was pulling teeth. Uh, my my teeth were erupted, so it wasn't like too difficult and honestly probably would have been fine with some local anesthetic. Uh, but uh, like I wanted to be out for this thing, right? So I did some like Googling and searching and because of the way that insurance works here in the States, like... Uh, it, Anesthesia wasn't covered, so I couldn't be out for it while I just removed my teeth. Um, But they did provide the option for nitrous or laughing gas. And I just, I I sat there. So the experience is just really bizarre. I was sitting there in the dentist chair. They were, you know, they leaned me back. They put the thing over my nose. They said, are you feeling it yet? No. Crank it up a little bit. Are you feeling it yet? No. No. Okay. Your your hands should start to feel funny. Your legs maybe a little tingly. Uh, Okay. Um, Not feeling it yet. Not feeling it yet. I cranked it up and then I said, still not feeling it. And as I said that, I start to feel it. And then they cranked it up even more. And then I felt, I really felt it. 
I was like, and I was sitting there going, feeling warm and fuzzy. It kind of felt like a buzz. And I was like, <laughs> oh, this, this is funny because they call it laughing gas. And it's, yeah, it's making me giggle. You know, so I'm just sitting there like having a good time. And it's it's funny. I mentioned this in the pre-show, but literally getting my tooth pulled was quick and painless. And having that experience, technically the, the laughing gas wasn't covered by my insurance, but it was like... $80. They had a discount. So it was $80. And I felt like that was worth every penny for me to have that level of anxiety just reduced. And it's like, if you can do that for, if, if you can do that for everything regarding my teeth and dentistry, like, can we do that? That'd be amazing. I'd pay that every time. It's just, it, it made me really reflect on patient care um mm-hmm. as a whole and and speaking of patient care we we will have some coverage of the healthcare symposium coming up next month uh but i think that is um a, a really important piece that i in my day to day i don't necessarily consider and it's just it's just important to know that it is considered and that people are thinking about it and thank you to you people who are doing that cuz it really made my experience a whole lot better I still can't get over the fact and it's a, this is another example of um, how grateful I need to be about socialized healthcare. Um, The fact that you have to choose between the type of anesthetic based on what your insurance provider would cover you. I just find completely mind blowing. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I didn't have to choose. It was a matter of research and effort to put into it. So, So yeah, but still, yes, you should be very thankful. All right. Well, that's going to be it for today, everyone. If you like this episode, enjoy some of the discussion about taking care of our elders. I'll encourage you to go listen to episode 251, Grandma Relax. It's just a robot where we talk about putting assistance into grandma's home. Comment wherever you're listening about what you think of the story this week. Really interested in your takes. If you want to join us on our Discord community, uh, love to hear some of your discussion there. For more, uh, visit our official website and stay up to date with all of the latest Human Factors news by signing up for our newsletter. If you like to hear, if you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. One, wherever you're at, watching, listening, you can leave us a five-star review. That is free for you to do and really helps us out. Uh, Tell your friends about us. That is also free for you to do and really helps us out. Or if you have the financial means to, you want to give us a buck, like I said, a buck gets you in the door for our Patreon stuff. So, You can always consider supporting us on Patreon. As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Be sure to tune in tomorrow if you're listening tonight or today. Go check out the HFES Town Hall. That's happening. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Barry Kirby for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about spicy takes on ageism? You can find me across social media at Baz underscore K. Or if you want to listen to some interesting interviews with interesting human factors people, then find me at 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, which is at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, 
are safe when they do so and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media and on your favourite podcast directory because it's more than just common sense.